This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Welcome back to Brewers Unfiltered. We're getting the second half of the 2023 Brewers season underway. A brief hiatus because of the All-Star break, but we are back and ready to go. And there's a lot to talk about regarding this Brewers team. So thanks for joining us again here. It's Sophia Minert, Adam McCalvey, Tim Dillard. And guys, it was a little brief hiatus, but we're we're back. We're ready to go. Um, and we now have an all-star representative on this podcast because of Adam McCalvey's <laughs> coverage of the all-star game festivities in Seattle. Yeah, good choice to send a guy who covers the team who had zero players who participated in the all-star game. That was a good. So I covered Randy Rosarena in the Derby. I wrote about the uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. home run that got called back. Uh, wrote about the draft, obviously. We'll talk about that. So there was still some stuff to do. Got to catch up with Orlando Arcia. That was fun. Um, yeah, so it was a good it was a good time. Seattle was beautiful. It was 75 degrees. It was a little bit different than when we were there in April. Yeah, and you, uh, well, thanks for representing the pod at the All-Star Game. That was, that was great um, for you to add that to our resume. But, you know, Devin Williams was there for a second time. Corbin Burns got in there. For a third time, and and they they both said like Seattle was a great host city and better weather obviously than when we were there in April. Um, what what was kind of like the the vibe around the last couple of days with Seattle hosting? Oh, I mean it was it was a great it was a great spot. It was a one of the best stadiums in baseball. It, the home run derby was incredible. Uh, we were, you know, I I've said this before, but the press box is only so big, right? So when there's big events like this, postseason, All Star Game, things like that, they build an auxiliary press box that has a couple hundred reporters from all over the world, including a a crew uh, of MLB.com. And Adley Rutschman during the Derby was pelting us with home runs because we were in this right field, like basically the Seattle version of uh, the where X Golf is at American Family Field. There's like a closed portion, and then next to it, there's an open portion that's in fair territory, and that's where we were. And literally, during the, they did a BP for just the Derby guys, and Kennedy Landry, our Rangers reporter, was sitting right next to me. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, she has a, a ball in her lap that like landed in front of us and somehow rolled up. So I actually like folded up my computer and put it away when he was hitting in the Derby because we were getting pelted. And because they go so fast, you're like following the track of one and then another one's coming. So it was it was a little hairy. And had he advanced, it would have been uh, pretty interesting. But he flipped around to hit right for that bonus round, which was really cool. And then um, got, got eliminated. So then we were safe because it was all right-handed hitters. So anyway, that's the thing that stands out to me. And it's also just cool to see, you know, some of the the just the players and figures that are around that week. It's it's got to catch up with the Troy Hawkins. Mike Cameron was huge, obviously, with his Mariners ties. CC Sabathia, Junior Spivey, who's in the Brewers front office, was there. Um, it's just really cool to see 
just figures of the game milling around where you're, you know, you're standing there and all of a sudden you're standing next to Ken Griffey Jr. It's kind of cool. That is amazing. That's so funny. Yeah, and I know um, even though Devin and Corbin did not pitch in the game, um, Devin, just because of workload and Corbin um, wasn't anticipating pitching because they were prioritizing first time all-stars. So he said it was kind of cool because there's way less pressure, right? He pretty much just sat in the dugout the whole time, got to sort of be a fan um, and just sort of enjoy it as a player without that responsibility of having to pitch. But And, and just to add, just to add to that, before you segue, there's you don't have to worry about extra innings anymore, which I think people forget. They, they settle those things by home run derby now if you're tied after nine. So unless something really weird happened that he had to like go in if there was like a 30-pitch inning and Corbin might have like cleaned up an inning, which would have been an interesting role for a guy who hasn't done that in a long time, uh, he really didn't have to worry about much. So I kind of want to see that home run derby to end an all-star game. That would be cool. <laughs> right? So one of these years we'll get that. Hopefully you would be protected from Adley Rodgerman. <laughs> uh, hopefully, yeah. Okay, sorry. I cut off your uh, segue, Sophia, which I'm sure was going to be flawless. Well, I don't know about flawless, but I was going to say it's maybe a good thing that uh, Devin, Devin anticipated a heavy workload coming out of the second half because that is what ended up happening with the team opening up. On the road here against, yes, again, the Cincinnati Reds. Um, because of our hiatus, if you forgot, the Brewers closed out the first half at home with a four-game series against the Chicago Cubs. They split that and then played the Cincinnati Reds, took two out of three there. It was a great, great homestand. Um, great to be back in the division. Great to have, like, great crowds with the 4th of July and just great baseball games. Um, so they finished with that one to nothing shutout. Sunday before the All-Star break, came back, and then they just continued to shut out the Reds uh, for those first two games of the series. Just really historic stuff that we saw from this pitching staff, you guys, with those three straight shutouts in Cincinnati. Yeah, especially not just any team. I mean, if this was Cincinnati last year or the year before, you'd be like, eh, we probably wouldn't even bring it up on the podcast. But, but since the Reds are like the second-best offense since Ellie De La Cruz got called up, you're thinking – they're, they're scoring runs, they're stealing bases, and if you would have said at the end of the series, who's going to have more stolen bases in this game, uh, the team that has the most in all of baseball or the Brewers, you would have said the Reds, and it was the Brewers. The Brewers put the pressure on, and that the Reds weren't used to it at all. But it was the pitching that did the job. Six shutout from Burns, six shutout from Peralta. Uh, Williams and, and Pagaro and Piomps are doing something pretty elite. Uh, that to me is the biggest takeaway in the whole series of these guys went from, uh, you know, a, a great bullpen piece. They've had big moments, but they have solidified themselves at the top of, of really all relievers in baseball. You look at the, just in July, their whip, their cool whip is 0.93. And that's the entire bullpen, but mainly these three guys, obviously Milner, Wilson as well. Uh, but that's just continually gotten better. It was a 137 in May. Now it's a 136. Uh, just pretty elite stuff. Uh, and when you're clicking on all cylinders like that, you only need one run. And that's all they needed for for three of those four games. Well, to me, I, I agree with Tim. The pitching definitely is my takeaway from the, that home-and-home home series against the Reds. Um, I'll just say this, too. And I, there's no proof for this. There's no stats to back it up. I feel like I've seen this year's Reds team 
years ago in Milwaukee when Ryan Braun came up, say 2007. Ryan Braun comes up, Prince Fielder is there, young guys having like the literal time of their lives, not a lot of pitching, but they really could score and they really had energy and they really thought like they were on top of the world. And they went on this midseason run. I remember this so clearly in like June and July of 2007 where the Brewers looked really good. And it was like, dang, this is happening. And then in the second half, they came very much down to earth. And it ended up being until the next year that they finally cracked that postseason drought. And there's something to be said in baseball for me, like you have to, I think teams have to learn how to win together as a group. And sometimes like teams like keeping prospects together in minor league affiliates because they sort of do that process a little bit in the minors. Tim, you know much more about that than I do. I'd be curious to hear if you agree. But I think they that this Reds team is really good. They have these great prospects. Um, and it's not just Ellie De La Cruz. It's, it's you know, Matt McClain looks really good in some of these at-bats. And Spencer Steer. And they have some really exciting young players, hitters. Um, but I think that this series maybe was, like, really important for the Brewers to just sort of, like, hold the ground a little bit and say, like, look, this, you know, not not quite yet. And and we'll see if that – and maybe the Reds surge in the second half and they and they go ahead. But I, I don't know. I, I just have a hunch that we're going to look back on this series as kind of an important one um, in what happens in the division the rest of the way for those reasons. Well, and I think it's huge because, I mean, they're now 8-2 and two against the Reds on the season. Um and that number is important, especially eight, because they now have the season series tiebreaker. Huge. And that was something that even though, yes, Adam, to your point, it's a July series because of the balanced schedule and playing these division teams fewer times, um, essentially two less series than what we're used to. Um, having those season series tiebreakers is huge. And, and we talked about that with Craig and he acknowledged that, that it's essentially like having an extra game lead because when they were in the position that they were in last year of, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies, who they're now playing, had the tiebreaker over the Brewers. And so it was, you know, these tiebreakers, and I, even though these are July series and you're not going to win a division now, um, it can set you up for it, standings later. And let's just quickly explain that because it is so important, but I still think it's something that happened under the radar a little bit. There's no more game 163s in baseball, as Sophia and Tim know. I just think this is worth saying. The, the, that Wrigley Field game that happened between Brewers and Cubs is a relic of MLB's past. They decided to, because they added off days in the season a couple of years ago, they, need, they had a crunch at the end, and they, can't put, they don't want to push the postseason any, so they eliminated game 163s, and, and tiebreakers now go – there's a series of tiebreakers starting with head-to-head -head record. So, for example, last year the Brewers in, what, May and June lost the season series to the Phillies, and it didn't even cross our radars. But then at the end, as they're with the Phillies in the wild card chasing them, the Brewers had to finish one game ahead of the Phillies, not just match their record, because the Phillies had the tiebreak, and tiebreak is decided by head-to-head. -head. So it's really important. I, I try to, like, keep mentioning that in stories because I think it's something that happened, but it – that change happened like in the off season and it, I don't know if it registered, but it's come into play last year for sure. And we'll see if it comes into play now. So that's, 
I, I just think it's important to kind of explain that because I, I still talk to people. I I think people still think there's 163s because we saw that awesome game against the Cubs. Yeah, and I feel like we had to explain that a lot last year, just even with the wild card chase of having to chase down the Phillies. And I was like, well, no, actually, they can't. It's not good enough to just to tie. catch them, right? Yeah. It's, it's not. Yeah. It's not good enough to catch them. You have to pass them outright. So yeah, these um these head to head matchups are huge. They're now eight and two against Cincinnati. They'll see the Reds again um, in July here, but I, I do think we should spend some time on the bullpen because what they did was just incredible in the series. Devin Williams. First time this season, he's gone three straight games, picked up all three saves, and incredibly efficiently. Um, it was 14 pitches for him on Friday. It was eight for him on Saturday, and then needed just nine to do it on Sunday. So 31 total pitches to get three saves, which is, I mean, elite, elite, elite. And then, of course, you wanted to mention some of the guys. Um, Yoel Piamps, now 42 games for him. Elvis Figueroa, now 35 games pitched for him. Iron Man, Hobie Milner, 43 games for him now on the season. And Bryce Wilson, who's also pitched in 31 games. Craig kind of refers to them as like the the core five of like the five that have been with the team essentially since opening day, even though Elvis Figueroa didn't make the opening day roster. It's really been that core five that has done the bulk of the work here for the bullpen. And, and let's be honest, when you go back to the start of the season, this was a group that we had a lot of questions about um, in terms of the lineup and the structure and matchups. And and they have absolutely done the job. And I thought the Red Series was the best example of that. Yeah, they played th- – th- that was the best management of bullpen. And I think it goes back to Devin Williams going, you know, I don't want to pitch in the All-Star game. It set all this stuff in motion, honestly. Uh, but the fact that these guys continue to go out there and do that speaks volumes to Chris Hook, Jim Henderson, the entire uh, staff, trainers, strength trainers, because to be able to bounce back and do this over and over and over again for this amount of time is a big deal. And I remember in April, uh, we didn't see a lot of Devin Williams. There wasn't a lot of times for him to get out there. And I remember Craig Council was like, we're just managing the workload. He, there's going to come a time when he has to throw a lot. Hopefully he'll be ready. And then you start looking at his appearances. He only had seven appearances in May, 12 in June. He already has eight in July. We're in mid-July, past the All-Star break, and he has eight. So for them to have that kind of foresight, uh, but then apply that to every single player. I mean, think about the times Bryce Wilson's had to sit for eight days, multiple times sitting for six days. And then they go out there, and they're still crisp. Hobie Milner, remember the series? What series was it that he only... I don't think he pitched at all. It was like all right-handed hitters. And you're thinking, well, what are you going to get at the end of the next series uh, when he's out there on the mound? And these guys continue to stay ready. That is a hard thing to do, but I got to give props to the to the whole staff because uh, to keep these guys ready and, and crisp like that, it involves a lot of bullpens, a lot of touch and feels, all the bullpen catchers coming together, and it's a lot of conversation. So I, it's just, it's really unique, and I think the Brewers do it probably better than anyone else in baseball. And, and I'll expand on that because Tim's right. And, and Yoel Piamps is a great example of an organizational success because that trade happened and we all focused on William Contreras coming from the Braves and nobody talked about Yoel Piamps coming from the A's. He was a middle reliever for a, who's bounced around. He doesn't strike anybody out and he just wasn't that exciting. Well, now he's turned into like a strikeout guy and it's because the Brewers identified something with his slider that they liked and... Well, he was still pitching in winter ball. They 
contacted him with some ideas to work on. He worked on them, came to spring training, continued to work on it, kind of a new slider grip, and it became an, uh, essentially a new pitch for him. And it's turned him into this guy who's able to strike hitters out and become a legitimate setup guy to Devin Williams, which is so vital because the two guys, everybody in the world expected to be that, Matt Bush and Peter Strzelecki, are not pitching for the Brewers right now, and Matt Bush isn't even in the organization anymore. So he's just been so huge. If you talk about unsung hero of this Brewers team, you know, it's Piguero too, it's Milner as well, as, as, you, as, as you guys have said. But UL Piamps has filled such a critical role, and it's because an organization saw something and was able, you know, they've done this with, <clears throat> with a number of pitchers. The other little anecdote we picked up in Cincinnati, not to talk forever, but Elvis Peguero said he almost signed with the Brewers as an amateur in 2015. And Eduardo Brizuela, <clears throat> he knew, and the Brewers made a good offer, and he even was to the point where he was like wearing around Brewers gear as a 16-year-old. And the Yankees came in with a with a better offer, those damn Yankees. And he ended up signing with the Yankees, then debuts with the A's or with the Angels and then and then comes to Milwaukee. But he he said it was sort of like a full circle moment because he always just had a good vibe for the Brewers, um, was ready to go pitch for them as a as an amateur, and then it just took a little longer than than he expected. So it's a um another just good uh scouting story of of getting value from that Hunter Renfro trade. And just to um, to follow up on Elvis, I agree. I mean, Yoel Piams, the the innings he's given them, it's a 183 earned round average for him in 42 games. Elvis, um, not too far behind, 35 games pitching again. Elvis didn't make the opening day roster. I think we forget that, but it just feels like yeah. he's been with the team all year. And what I love is when you hear other players talk about you know, their teammates. And when we talked to Freddie after his start and talking to him about the job that the bullpen had done, and he was talking about Elvis specifically, and he said, man, we have been trying to talk to him. And by that, it meant, you know, Julio Tehran and and Wade Miley and um, some of the veteran pitchers on this staff. And he's like, he doesn't even know how good his sinker is, right? Like, we're trying to tell him, like, you don't need, like... <laughs> The velocity, the movement on it, the command that he has of it. He was talking to us about that's just like his natural throwing motion. Um, and I I love to hear that, you know, like they're building up a pitcher in real time and, and how much the confidence has grown for him. And, and Tim, you can maybe speak to like how important that is for a player that's coming over and, you know, and trying to establish themselves in a, in a new team and a new organization. Well, it's not by chance that pitcher after pitcher gets into the Brewers organization and suddenly they are pivotal pieces uh, down the stretch, you know, and for them to recognize the talent and figure out, okay, how can we best utilize it? I know they use a lot of computers and we talk about the pitching lab, but a lot of it has to do just with eyes and feedback. Um, it comes from the bullpen catchers, it comes from the pitching coaches, and it comes from the teammates. It's always good when you can tell something positive to a guy and it helps convince them to go a certain direction. Listen, your sinker is one of the best I've ever seen. The catcher is going to break a thumb if they're not careful. You can use that pitch more, right? Like this is something that you don't have to be, you know, you're scared to do because a lot of times coming from another organization or coming from other pitching coaches, you're not getting the feedback that maybe you should. And so maybe you've been burnt on that before. Maybe you maybe you've, you have something in your mind. Oh, I threw this pitch. It was a bad time. I got burnt on it. 
and you're kind of soured towards it. And when teammates can come along and say, listen, you got to use this more, you trust them. And, and that's a great thing, especially for guys like Tehran. You know, he is probably the veterano um, of the staff when it comes to some of the Latin guys. So he's able to, you know, talk about his career and the stuff that he's already seen and, and be very relatable to some of these guys. So I think that's awesome. And I think a lot of times uh, we forget how important teammates are, not just, you know, to get through a season, but uh, to get better and to take feedback from. We got the scoop on Elvis's name, too, which is critical information. I thought maybe there'd be some great story about a you know musical fan in the family, but it's not. His mother what, His mother wanted to name him Elvin. And then Dad was like, no, I, I don't necessarily like that. Let's make it an S instead of an N at the end of the name. So he came up with Elvis, and Peguero said it was special because his father wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like a, super educated man, didn't know a lot of grammar, according to, to Elvis. And he thought it was just cool that his dad had a say in the name in, instead of mom. And he said he's happy that it's Elvis because he's not a fan of Elvin. Doesn't quite have the same like ring as he's running in from the bullpen. Well, all our Elvin, yeah. No, Elvis, yeah. So there's nothing to all do with Elvis Elvin Presley. Viewers but listening right now, we apologize. There's nothing wrong with the name Elvin. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So relaxed. <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail now. More hate mail than usual. Oh, Elvin. Shoot, listeners. Sorry, Elvin. <laughs> well, how about another transition to save Adam from the hate mail? Um, as we uh, as we get ready for this series here with the Philadelphia Phillies, we did get some pitching news um, on the off day Monday. Uh, Wade Miley was scheduled to start on Tuesday, so they have it lined up with Julio Tehran, Wade Miley, and Corbin Burns again. And uh, Wade will not be making that start. He's going on the IL with an elbow injury. Um, an easy internal candidate could be Colin Ray. Um, he's been available out of the bullpen. Again, the Brewers, as we're recording this on Tuesday morning, um, the Brewers have not announced who will take that spot. But guys, it Feels like that could be a, an, an easy Colin Ray day, um, unless they decide to to make another move. But how do you think that sort of affects things? You know, Wade was just sort of getting into a good rhythm coming back from the previous injury, and he had been so ahead of schedule, um, and now kind of this setback, which we hope is not not ho- hopefully not a major one for Wade Miley. Well, it's strange because he yeah he dealt against the Reds before the All Star break on that Sunday. Everything looked great. I mean, he was sharp strikeouts were there pitch count down and then you have four days of the all-star break and then you have the three days in Cincinnati so that's a full week off for this to be announced on an off day you're like some you know curious on what happened or what's going down or maybe just didn't bounce back like he hoped uh but either way if they can get him at any point the rest of the season it's going to be good and get him completely healthy uh that's the right move and of course you got Woodruff eventually coming back but for them to have Colin Ray, they, for Colin Ray to be the odd man out at this point, you know, with six guys was strange to begin with because he has proved himself to be uh, a, a very reliable starter, going at least five innings in every start except for one, and continually going out there and putting the team in position to win, and then suddenly he's in the bullpen. kind of seems unfair, but, you know, when these moments come up, uh, good job the Brewers have a guy like this, we talk about the depth and, and he's going to bring it. Yes, I do think he'll be the guy uh, to fill in for Miley. Yeah, and, and look, I think for Sophia and I, as we were talking to counsel and since he probably are like 
curiosity meter was was running a little bit because they gave us Julio Tehran for the first game in Philly, and then it was TBD for some reason for the next two games, which was a little a little strange coming out of the break. Um, so I think you're you're I, I would probably guess the same as you, Tim. Is something about bouncing back didn't work. And look, the way I think of the story of Wade Miley for his whole career is excellent when healthy. And keeping him healthy is the trick. And the Brewers knew that when they signed him. You bake in the idea that, yeah. it, you know, you, you, you're you probably not going to get 200 innings out of Wade Miley. And if you do, it's great. But when he's healthy, he's very, very good. And keeping him healthy has always been the trick. So um, hopefully, you know, elbow always makes you a little scared for a pitcher. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. We're just going to have to, in the coming days, get more information about what's going on there. And look, if if you go beyond Colin Ray, because you know that's going to be the next question if Miley's down for a while, because depth is always so important. Um, they do have Jason Alexander pitching again at AAA. He, he ate some innings for them last year, um, and he's back from a shoulder now. And they have Robert Gasser, who's leading the International League in in strikeouts, the lefty prospect who they got in the Josh Hader trade last year. Um, his issue is always walks, and he's kept the walks down lately at AAA. So he's put himself in position to to be part of the discussion about the depth. Well, we will uh, we'll get more information here in Philly again uh, as as we're recording this. They haven't officially announced it. We just know that Wade is going on the IL and will not start Tuesday. So. Guys, we got a lot more to get through. Um, we'll talk more about the draft, which also occurred over the All-Star break. Adam will get us all up to speed on the young prospects that are joining the Brewers organization. And uh, we'll talk more about the second half and what's coming up for the team. So stick around here on Brewers Unfiltered. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on Brewers Unfiltered, Sophia, Adam, and Tim joining you. And uh, while we were away for the All-Star break, Major League Baseball also held the draft in Seattle, uh, 20 rounds of amateur players. Um, the Brewers were very, very busy. And on Monday, on the team's off day, they actually signed two of their top selections with their uh, draftees, infielder Brock Wilkin, who was their first-round draft pick, taken 18th overall. And then they also signed right-handed pitcher Josh Noth, uh, who was taken in the competitive balance round A at uh, the 33rd pick overall. So, Adam, I know you had a chance to talk with uh, the VP of scouting, Todd Johnson, who runs the draft every year for the Brewers. It is a monster undertaking every year. Um, it's a, a year-long effort for Todd Johnson and the rest of the scouting department to prepare for the draft. And then it's done in three days, and then they try to sign the players as quickly as possible. So what what was your assessment of how the draft went and then getting a chance to meet Brock and, uh, and Josh yesterday in Milwaukee? Well, how the draft went was an interesting place to start because it was 
different. It was a different kind of draft than the Brewers' recent drafts. Brock Wilkin is a different kind of first-round pick than the super athletic, super contacty, on-base-driven player that the Brewers have. You know, Eric Brown, um, Sal Freelich, Garrett Mitchell that they've taken in recent years. Brock Wilkin is more of a power hitter. His his play discipline and contact rate went way up this past year at Wake Forest. He hit 31 homers for a school record. He tied the ACC career homer record. So he's definitely a power guy, but he has improving plate discipline. Um, But still, as a third baseman, just a different kind of pick than the -the up-the-middle guys we're used to the Brewers signing. And then you mentioned the second pick, Josh Noth. He's sort of a a, 5'10", smaller compared to the monsters that we see in the draft, 6'4", and up You know, for so many of these guys. Uh, but he throws hard. He has a super high spin curveball. He's only 17 years old, one of the youngest players in the draft class. He turns 18 next month. Um, so it just, you know, again, we're not used to seeing the Brewers take a high school pitcher with the 33rd overall pick. It's a little different than their recent years um, when they focus so heavily on college players and junior college players. So that definitely stood out to me in terms of meeting the guys. I mean, Brock Wilkin is a very impressive presence. He's a big dude. Um, he, he knows what he wants in, in this life. Like he is a very confident young, young man. He showed up in those brewers kicks that people may have seen in the story uh, we put on the site on uh, Monday night. Uh, he was in a bio lab and he signed up for a drawing to win a pair of shoes and he won them and they, happened to be in Brewers' colors, and this was four months before they drafted him. So when they drafted him, he figured he at least had his shoes set that he was going to wear when he came up to the ballpark. So he'll go to Arizona. Then he expects to go to Wisconsin, which is pretty cool, high A. Um, and then he's hoping to come back to Milwaukee in September to take some BP and do the whole thing, you know, meet Christian Yelich and, and that whole routine that the uh, the first-round pick often gets to go through, uh, and he just didn't do because they happened to be on the road when he signed. So he's got uh, some really cool days ahead, and um, it's just an impressive young player. And just the other thing I'll mention, people may have noticed that his signing bonus was pretty far under slot. Both guys signed for under slot, um, and that is key because the draft is this puzzle of managing signing bonuses. A team has a certain amount of money that they have allotted to, to sign their players and be- before paying penalties, and um, by by sort of managing that with these picks, it allows them to try to sign some other picks because they have two high school shortstops. The third rounder is Eric Batanti from California, and the sixth rounder is a really high draft prospect, Cooper Pratt from Mississippi. And those guys are going to take over slot signings to to, to lock up to, to keep them from going to college. And typically you don't pick guys that high if you don't, if you, don't know you're going to sign them. So I think the Brewers are going to sign them. And this is managing the kind of draft pool in order to make that happen. So they've got a couple guys this year, hitters, shortstops, the sort of guys we are used to the Brewers picking who they are super high on and they think they're going to get. So it could end up being a pretty interesting class, but with high school players, you know, there's so much volatility. It's like a who knows. And, you know, ask, ask again in five years how this turns out.
Well, you know, I always love a good uh, Brewers themed pair of shoes. So I'm a fan of Brock Wilkin. Just I know you guys would get along. Show up to the press conference. I, I'm, I'm I'm upset. I met I missed it. So I hope he brings those back for whenever he decides to come back to Milwaukee and do the formal you know, take BP and meet the team. And hopefully we all get a chance to talk to him. We, I know we always enjoy, you know, bringing up, especially those first round picks and second round picks, um, you know, to introduce them to the fans and and let them kind of get to know us. And then it's, it's fun because then you think back and hopefully in a couple of years when they come up and make their major league debuts as brewers, you think back to what, uh, what those kids were like and the things they say. And um, it's just, it's always fun. I think that's, I think being drafted is such a milestone day and it's, you know, Craig always tells us and, and Matt and David always tells us like, it's just the start, right? It's the start of hopefully everything else that, that can happen in your career. Yeah. And I, you know, you think you do, you're right, Sophia, you think about their first day. I mean, one of the fame, the most famous one in Brewers history is Ryan Braun's first day when he came in to sign his contract it happened to be the same day that Prince Fielder and Ricky Weeks hit their first big league homers against the Twins. And it was like this epic day. I remember it so clearly at, at then Miller Park. And, and Ryan Brown's mom ran a sausage race. That was a big part of that day. <laughs> and it was just a uh, – Braun was up in a suite watching this, and the ballpark was electric, and it was like a really, I mean, unforgettable moment. So, um, yeah, yeah, those are – you you think back to how, what the guy was like on the day he showed up at at the ballpark for the first time and got around the big league players, and then what he's like when he gets to the big leagues. And sometimes they're the same, and sometimes they're a little different. Yeah, those are, those are always fun days. We look forward to uh, to meeting those guys hopefully in September when their uh, minor league assignments are wrapped up. But we do have a lot more to get through regarding the second half. Uh, the team will. Play the Philadelphia Phillies here for three, then return home, and it's going to be a big homestand. Um, the Atlanta Braves and their absurd record, uh, more than 60 wins now on the season for them. They are just a runaway train in the National League and in the National League East. Uh, they'll host the Braves for three, and then, yes, again, the Cincinnati Reds for the final <laughs> three games. That will be nine times that the Brewers will be seeing the Reds in July. And then, again, just the craziness of the schedule. That is it. That's the end of their season series with Cincinnati. Um, and then that will take them into their last road trip before the trade deadline. So kind of when you're looking at this stretch of the schedule, guys, this is a this is a pretty challenging portion of the schedule in terms of teams that are above 500, teams that were playoff teams a year ago. Um, so, yeah, it's, so this is going to be a, a good test for the for the crew the next couple series. What I like is how they've just they've been playing really good baseball lately. And they've been winning the close games and they've been scoring enough runs. And I like the fact that they're they're playing very gritty, I feel like. And in the Reds, the back to back series with the all star break in between, uh, there was one game they just it seemed like they were a little flat. They weren't very gritty. That's the game that Ellie De La Cruz stole three bases in an inning. And the and the pressure it just seemed like was on the Brewers. The Brewers completely turned that around, and the grittiness I've seen from the defense, from from the stolen bases, and I mean, the difference maker the other day was a, just a sack fly. Um, that's the kind of things that tells you a team knows what's going on, they know how important each series is, and it's all about getting that run in. You're starting to see guys give up their at-bats to get people over. Uh, for whatever reason, they came out of the All-Star break, and I think I think Corbin Burns set the tone of of 
okay, it's real now. You know, it's it's real. You can see the finish line and it's playoffs. And here, everybody jump on board. It's time to win some ball games. That's what I've seen. And and it hadn't always been there. We've seen some of it, but what they've been doing in July is is pretty amazing. Well, I mean, to me, like if we're unfiltered about it, what I think is there's at this point no excuse for the Brewers not to win this division. Um, this is their division to win now after what they did to Cincinnati in these in these games. So I, there are still three against Cincinnati left. Those are those are going to be important games, I think, for the Reds to reassert themselves in this race a little bit. But the Brewers, I think, will pick up a bat at the deadline. Um, but if you look at it 94 games in, I mean, the Cubs are eight and a half back of Milwaukee at this point. Pittsburgh and St. Louis, 11 back and thinking about selling. So uh, this is definitely the Brewers' division to take. Yeah, and I like... I mean, like we talked about, eight and two against the Reds, and then just overall against the against the division, they have been the best team in baseball against division opponents. Aside from the Atlanta Braves, they have gone twenty and nine against the National League Central. Um, and as it shakes out, they'll have the final three against the Reds. They will have seven left against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They'll make a final trip to Wrigley to play the Cubs for three, and then September they will play uh, essentially with back to back series with the Cardinals. So they'll have seven, seven games left against St. Louis. So I, yeah, I agree, Adam. I think <clears throat> if you can really put the Reds away with another series win um, and continue to win as many series as you can. And, and I, I, again, like reiterating, they have the season series tiebreaker over Cincinnati. If that is ultimately the team that's near the top with them, um, they have set themselves up really well. And that's what, that's what we talk about all the time, right? It's just like continue to win series, Try to give yourself the the best advantage with those tiebreakers, and then you maybe get some help um, down the road. Or you're not counting on other teams to have to help you because you've taken care of your own business. Um, any potential, um, you know, there. We should also talk about, you know, we talked about Wade Miley's injury, um, Rowdy Telez's really unfortunate injury here. That they're going to be without him for a couple weeks now, and they were hoping to get him back this series in Philadelphia. They were hoping it was going to be a minimal time for him on the IL with the forearm injury just to get him right, get that kind of inflammation calmed down. And then he just has this freak injury on Saturday before the game as he's out shaking fly balls, has a collision with the wall, ends up getting a a fracture in his finger that required more than a dozen stitches. So now um, the latest update on Rowdy Telez is they're going to be without him three to four weeks. And that's pretty impactful. So you're going to be seeing a lot of Owen Miller at first base. But what do you think that does for the rest of the lineup um, and kind of how they – we know the trade deadline is coming up too, but like how they kind of plug these holes in the meantime. I think Owen Miller's been doing a fantastic job. But, I mean, they're going to they're gonna need that big left-handed bat. I know Winker had that big double the other day. That's – you know, hopefully he'll fill in there. But we were watching batting practice. I even – me and Jeff Levering were in the booth, and I just said, Jeff, is that – is that Rowdy Telez out in left center? And he's just running down baseballs. And I was like, man, that's a great sign. He was moving good. He was tracking balls and throwing them in. And I was like, man, that's so cool. Because I, I miss being out there shacking balls during BP. And I was like, good for him. We saw Brandon Woodruff the other day at first base, you know, turning double plays and stuff like that when they were taking infield. And I, I enjoy watching that kind of stuff. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if we turned our backs or what, but then suddenly – you know, Rowdy must have hit the wall and, and all that took place. And we didn't even hear about it 
um, until the next day, about midday. So, uh, yeah, kind of a freak thing. Those things do happen. Um, but they were looking forward to getting him back. You know, a clear mind, a healthy arm, uh, ready to swing the bat. But who knows? I, I honestly, yeah, that could play a big factor in what they decide to do uh, before the trade deadline. Yeah, newsletter preview. I spent the last couple of days tracking down the weirdest injuries in Brewers history and compiling them into a, a list with some details. So You do this once a year, I know. <laughs> There's always one. <laughs> and it, it's like, it's not funny because Rowdy's hurt and it, you know, he's not, it, it sounds terrible and painful. Sophia, I don't know if you saw it, but it sounds gnarly. The word cuticle was thrown around. I'm done. <laughs> you do not want to hear anything involving nail bed. That's a word I don't want to hear uh, related to an injury. So, yeah, but but look, the way I think about it is you put a bunch of young men around blunt objects for eight months a year, nine months a year, uh, weird stuff is going to happen. And this is definitely one of the weirdest, and it's unfortunate. And and look, I I mean, I think there was already incentive to, to go find a, a bat. It's, it's hard to make a trade at the deadline and find a guy that's going to be, you know, Jorge Soler for the 2021 Braves, um, or you know, um, uh, it's it's th- those examples are rare. A guy who comes in and and makes a huge impact, but I don't know. I think they need to do it. I, I, you know, because who you know, Rowdy had had been struggling for a while before getting uh, going on the IL. I, I just think they need they need to do something about this offense um, to get a little more going in the second half. And Craig Council has said it like it's great to win one to nothing. That was a cool little anecdote, um, a little historical footnote when they did it back to back games against the Reds. But you can't rely on winning games like that. You need to score. And they've been to, to their credit, like let's not forget they'd been scoring leading into that stretch yeah. at a really good clip for a couple of weeks. But I still think there's incentive to go try to find a bat that's going to help you at one of the infield corners. Or the outfield. Well, they, I, the the worst thing they can do is go make a bunch of moves and try to disrupt the clubhouse. That that would be the worst way to go. Best way to go is just add one little piece. Uh, we talked about the bullpen, how good they're doing. Look at the defense all the way around. Yeah, defense is outstanding. Uh, and you know what? Their offense has been good enough lately. And so, but that's the one thing. If you had to improve on it, you would just need a guy that probably bats 280 that you could put in the four, five, or six hole. Really, it doesn't have to be a whole, you know, huge power number guy, but just somebody that can give an extra base hit or two during a game. It's really all they need. So it'd be interesting to see what they do, but I'm I'm hoping it's just one small move that's not going to disrupt everything that this team has been built on so far this season. Yeah, and I mean, we, we should also mention Brian Anderson was placed on the IL with a back injury. That'll be a, a they're anticipating that'll be a minimal amount of time for him. Um, that's just an injury that he has history with going back to last year with Miami. We have not seen Brian Anderson uh, here in the second half. He'll probably get it on the homestand, but Rowdy Teles' app will absolutely take them past the trade deadline. So you know that you know, at some point you'll get him back, but it's going to be after the trade deadline and after this kind of key stretch here. So, um, yeah, the, we've talked about health. <laughs> it feels like all season long they've used more than fifty players already, and uh, we'll see. We'll see kind of how they how they manage this here uh, moving forward without Rowdy Telez in there at first base uh, for the next couple weeks. Um, 
Well, guys, as we're wrapping up, any uh, any final thoughts for you? And maybe our stat of the week should be how many cheesesteaks Tim Dillard will consume while here in Philly. <laughs> why do people Why do people keep tweeting? People are tweeting at me like, "How many cheesesteaks have you eaten?" I'm like, "Do I do I just do, do I strike everybody as a cheesesteak connoisseur?" Well, yes. Yeah, uh, the answer to that question yeah. is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you are, and you're also a man up for a challenge. So oh, I, I, think, I am. I, I don't know if they'll let me in the clubhouse. Well, the last time I was in the Phillies clubhouse, the visiting clubhouse, uh, was 2008. It was during the playoffs, and I wasn't good enough to be one of the guys that's on the field, so I was a backup to a backup to a backup, but I was there, uh, and I was eating a cheesesteak every other inning during the game. That's oh, my I God. That was that's my amazing. part that I played watching the game on TV. <laughs> um <laughs> And it was cool. It, it was good. And, they, and the, honestly, the visiting clubhouse has the best cheesesteaks ever. I don't know if, as a broadcaster, if I'm allowed to get in there, snag one, I'll try. Um, but yes, that's what I'm going to do. As soon as we're done here, taking the family, we're going to lunch, and I'm going to have a cheesesteak. That is the most famous cheesesteak in Philly is probably the visiting clubhouse at Citizens Bank Park. Yeah. And we've done actual stories about that on MLB.com where there's a race to keep you know, for a long time it was Marcus Hanel, the Brewers' former bullpen catcher, but now he's been beat. I think the Rock is it the Rockies' bullpen catcher beat him. I'm gonna have to look that up here. And uh, really, I, it did. I think we had a whole story about it on MLB.com, if I'm not mistaken. We always cover the most important, you know, topics, as you all know. <laughs> well, can I throw a stat of the week in there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's for me. It's zero, which is. How many hits Ellie De La Cruz had in this this last series in Cincinnati? You can't steal second, third, and home if you're not on base. And I thought the Brewers did a great job keeping him and everybody else really off the bases. But I think you contain that guy, and you contain the Reds. And and I thought that was just a a great job by um, again the whole group. It's the coaches, it's the analytics guys. They came up with a really good game plan against him. Corbin Burns struck him out on three curveballs in the dirt. Um, three straight at bat. So it was a, uh, a really good job of containing him, and I thought that was a, a key, cool thing from the Brewers' point of view in that Red Series. Well, I'll throw out just my final thoughts that I feel like we've, we need to talk a little bit about. William Contreras has been amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. His at-bats are changing the baseball games. Uh, of course, Christian Yelich. If my stat of the week has probably got to be 356, that's what he's batting in July. And if you go by month, April, he was batting 228, May 284, June 320, and now here he is in mid-July at 356. And that's that's just a great sign um, of, of what to expect uh, going forward. But I do want to bring up Bryce Terang just for a second because I thought he's his defense saved so many runs in the Red Series, it was play after play of pitchers pointing at him, guys fist pumping. Uh, his defense, if it could got it could get any better, I think it, it went even better in this Red Series. So I felt like that we would fail as a podcast group if we didn't bring up these three uh, just because they, they deserve it. Um, I agree on all fronts. All of those players have been, I, Bryce Trang especially, uh, his defense. I mean, I don't think you have one to nothing shutouts without Bryce Trang's defense. Even David Bell said as much. That was something that um, one of his comments after one of the games was just that the infield defense, um, aside from the pitching staff, is a huge reason why they had such a hard time just scoring runs and just getting any kind of offense going in that series. 
Uh, my stat was going to be 31, and that was Devin Williams' pitch count in the three-game mm-hmm. series to get three saves. I mean, it, wow. we know Devin sometimes will walk a tightrope. That's the life of a closer. Um, sometimes you're working around walks and, and stoinks and bad luck, and sometimes it's hard contact. Devin is a, a great competitor, but I think just his efficiency – um, in that series, that's A, what allows him to go out for a third straight day and be available on Sunday, even aside from the All-Star break. And for him to have two saves with 10 pitches or less in that series, I think is really remarkable. So, um, yeah, that was my set of the week, 31 for Devin. Well, those are all good, but my additional set of the week was going to be four, which is the number of flights I attempted to get on before actually getting home to Milwaukee yesterday, just in time to get to the draft thing. So I think that's our definitive stat of the week is... It always comes back to my travel. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, if you could, if one of you could get a big suitcase and just, just put me, I'll, I'll dress warm, and you can just put me in that baggage hold on the charter. I would be so happy. That would make my life so much better. I don't know. You'd be down there right now with a lot of car seats and strollers and luggage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm Family trip. Sure. Family trip. I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is the one, but but maybe the next one, Adam. <laughs> okay, thanks. Maybe the next one. All right. Well, this is uh, this has been a very jam-packed edition of Brewers Unfiltered coming out of the All-Star break. We had a lot to catch up on and uh, always a lot going on around this team. So thank you for joining us make sure you're following at dim tillard at adam mckelvey at sophia minnard of course make sure you're following along on all of the great brewers social platforms at brewers so thanks for tuning in uh, for this week of brewers unfiltered